Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Crypto Daily Briefing on Real Vision. Today, we talk venture capital and Africa. I'm joined by two guests today from South Africa, Gideon Greaves, who is Managing Director at CVC Africa, and Brendan Niker, who is the Principal and Head of Growth at CVC Africa. Guys, welcome back. Hey, Ash. Really excited to be on the show. Thanks for having us. Well, I actually should should say welcome to the show. This is our first time on. Yeah, we're really excited to be talking about Africa. I think it's a, it's it's really a hot topic, and I think uh, you know being on the show uh, shows that. So we're excited to dive deeper into a little bit of the uh, of what's going on here on the continent. Well, we're excited to have you here. This is such an incredibly interesting topic. Uh, the developing world in general, and Africa in particular, is something that I find intriguing, and we just don't talk about it enough here on Real Vision. I'm glad we get to talk about it today. Uh, before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about price action. Obviously, it's not been a great day uh, for digital assets more broadly. Right now, Bitcoin trading at 29310 uh, That's off about 3% on a 24-hour basis. Ethereum, well, let's be honest, the chart looks even worse, sliding almost 5.5% on a 24-hour basis, trading right now on my screen at $1,985. You know, obviously, two points to bring up here. First, we saw an ugly CPI print in Britain this morning, 10.1% year over year in March, following 10.4% year over year in February. Uh, In March, just to point this number out because it's pretty dismal, 19.2% food and beverage uh, inflation on an annualized basis year over year. Uh, It's pretty grim. Second, I just want to talk about this briefly here. Uh, This is from some reporting from Coindesk that talks about the actual mechanics of this move that we saw today. Quote, also in the mix, a so-called long squeeze, more than $25 million in Bitcoin futures were liquidated. Longs or bets on rising prices made up 98% of those liquidated positions. Uh, So what's happening here is you see the longs getting squeezed out, uh, 98% of the liquidations being longs. Obviously, that's downward pressure. Uh, I just wanted to jump in here and read this final point. Prominent, uh, this is again from Coindesk, is a direct quote, prominent pseudonymous crypto trader at 52 SKU pointed out that 16,000 Bitcoin sell orders worth over $467 million at current prices preceded the dump, which may have initiated the long squeeze. And I'm gonna read this directly from 52 SKU uh, from the Twitter, uh, from his Twitter page. Uh, 16,000 BTC is unusual size to be market sold solely from Binance spot. Usually that kind of sale happens before bad news comes out that again from 52 skew from twitter uh so obviously early days here in terms of what's happening in uh this bit little dip that we have uh guys any thoughts on what's happening right now in terms of price action before we talk bigger picture what's happening in africa no well you know from my side having a little bit a slight uh macro background you know coming from the asset management space before i was uh sort of orange pulled into the world of web3 i think it's it's exactly like you mentioned. It's a case of although we've seen a little bit of decoupling, um, you know, the famous decoupling over the last few weeks, call it few months. I think we're still very much 
tied as an asset class to the the wider macroeconomic situation. And you know, you, you saw this confluence of positive momentum building up in the market, so this building up of leverage longs, and then right. this macroeconomic event from outside of the system, um, you know, so to speak, which essentially sort of washed some of that out. So I think on a, a larger time frame, I think we're 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 just a, a victim of of macroeconomic wider macroeconomic effects uh, in the market. Yeah, I guess we don't know at this point to what extent, if any, uh, there's a tie between the events happening in the UK in terms of that ugly CPI print and the sell. Uh, but you pointed out, Brenton, and I think that's correct. We did see a great deal of a. Uh, upward momentum in a very short period of time. Uh, and the implication here being that you do see these pressure from leverage longs building, and then you get these kind of liquidation moments. This is what happens, folks, when you borrow money. And place bets on it specifically. All right, guys, I wanted to talk a little bit more uh, about the reason that you're here, because this is a topic that I find incredibly interesting. Uh, first, let's talk a little bit about your shop, CVVC, Crypto Valley Venture Capital. Uh, talk a little bit about the the sort of the mothership, the parent company, and Zug, of course, the Crypto Valley, uh, and its relationship uh, to what you guys are doing in South Africa and Africa more generally. Ash, so I think the, the company name really gives away what we do, right? Crypto Valley Venture Capital, uh, the acronym for CVVC, based out of the canton of, of Zug, which is known to be the Crypto Valley, of course, uh, in Switzerland. Uh, the founders started the company back in 2016. There's two aspects to the business. The one is CVVC, which is the holding company and the investment vehicle. Um, uh, the, um, our focus is to invest into startups that utilize blockchain. So we have various funds, we invest off the balance sheet. And CVVC also owns another business called CV Labs. And CV Labs is uh, what we believe to be our USP or our, our secret source as a, as a venture capitalist. We know how, how competitive the landscape is. You need to be doing more than just uh, um, allocating capital to startups. You know, so we have CV Labs, which, uh, which does just that. Essentially, it's an ecosystem business. Um, that helps accelerate adoption in the space, building ecosystems across the globe. Um, what we do, we have uh, co-working spaces. So think of it as the WeWork of crypto in South Africa, Berlin, um, in Lisbon, in Switzerland, in Liechtenstein. And then we do various events from hackathons to, uh, you know, to networking events. And of course, you know, the reason we're here today, research and reports as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. It seems as though that the venture capital business, particularly in the crypto sphere, is evolving in a direction that there is a lab component or a lab functionality uh, that almost seems to be table stakes these days, uh, that if people are moving into developing uh, these accelerators, uh, co-working environments, all the points that you just made there, it really is, I think, a very interesting development in the VC space. Yeah, I, I, I think... I think, obviously, of course, Web3 and blockchain being the most progressive and innovative, you know, technical sector of venture capital, as I mentioned earlier, you've got to be doing more. I think as right. a VC, unless you're a, you're a household name, if you're a new fund manager, you've got to be doing more than just, uh, than just allocating cash. You've got to be adding value to the portfolio companies. Um, so we run an, an accelerator out of CB Labs. And where it really, really helps is when you're launching into a new market like South Africa and Africa, um, where it becomes really important not to just, you know, empower these entrepreneurs by capital, but also to actually help build the ecosystem and right. bridge the gap between the Web 2 world and the Web 3 world. And what's interesting is, you know, being in Africa, uh, be, of course, the market is accelerating um, at, a, at a crazy pace. Um, but there is still that feeling uh, for a firm like us being 
a sort of um, you know big fish in a small pond, meaning that if we knock on the door of a regulator or a legacy corporate, the door is always open for a conversation because no one else is, is knocking. Um, and I think that's really important from the labs business and the ecosystem building side. So walk us through what that looks like on the ground in South Africa, uh, how you guys add value to portfolio companies. You know, there's this uh, cliche uh, that I think is very true, this idea uh, that talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not in this world. Uh, tell us a little bit about how uh, you work with young entrepreneurs in the, this space, in the crypto space. Uh, how do you add value to that, uh, to those businesses? Well, I mean, if I can just touch on that, I think... Uh, Ecosystem is a big word, right? It's a, a buzzword that that's often used. But when we speak about ecosystem, what we're really trying to build is across four pillars. Um, so it's access to capital. It's access to talent. It's a clear regulatory framework. Um, and it's access to the legacy market. Uh, and how we've managed to achieve that is, you know, since Gideon mentioned we launched in mid-2021, we've been very privileged that when we've knocked on a lot of these doors, and uh, I will say having... Uh, some relationships that the Swiss government backing you really helps. Uh, we've managed to bring in some of the biggest banks on the African continent, uh, some of the biggest uh, firms in supply chain, uh, the central banks of a number of African countries. And because of that, we've managed to bring all of the players to the same space where they can now engage with the corporates in terms of getting pilot projects out, getting access to capital, getting access to services, where they can now access the regulators and sit with them and say, hey, this is our business model. This is how it works. How do we appropriately adjust it so that we can fall within the ambits of the current regulatory framework? Um, so that's a lot of you know, what we've been doing in general in the ecosystem side. And I think specifically here, when you look at things like, like the co-working spaces, uh, one of the most valuable things that Y Combinator alumni always allude to is not the capital, which is great. It's the network uh, of alumni that uh, of startups in your cohort and the amount of value you're able to create from that. And what we've experienced in Africa is a lot of the really early stage startups, uh, they have a lot of the same problems. They need to speak to the same service providers. They have a lot of the same requirements. And by creating an environment and a physical place where they can all be together and engage with all these counterparties, it, you know, I mean, I guess this is why they call it an accelerator, but it really accelerates their ability to take something from zero to one um, and get to those later stage series A, series B maturity of a company. So let's talk a little bit specifically about this report that you guys have just released uh, on uh, what's happening in Africa today, because I think some of these numbers were just frankly eye-popping uh, that I saw. Uh, African venture funding grew by 34% to $3.14 billion as global funding fell 35% to $415 billion. I mean, that's a pretty extraordinary statistic in and of itself. Uh, but this uh, also, I think, a quite striking number. Africa now represents 1.8% of all global funding, up from 0.3%. Uh, uh, so that number is what? It's about sixfold. I mean, this is just extraordinary growth uh, that you guys are seeing. Ash, you know, I like to say sometimes, sounds corny, but Africa is the new Bitcoin. And that's certainly what we see. We have a lower base, of course, if you compare us to the developed markets, and there's a lot going on here. We can you can definitely see a trend where there's a lot of international capital flowing into uh, the tech startup scene on the continent. So you're seeing those uh, you know, flagship names, A16Z, um, um, Sequoia Capital, Entera, Paradigm, Coinbase Ventures, et cetera, all, 
all that capital is now flowing into the continent, um, but they're investing into those validated growth rounds um, where we are you know, really playing from the grassroots uh, uh, level in that early pre-seed um, seed stage where we're seeing a sort of arbitrage opportunity there as well. Um, but you can definitely see the, the international interest into, into the market, into Africa. And as you touched on there, 430% growth in blockchain funding on the continent compared to 5% globally uh, in, in what's been a, a bear market is, is uh, really encouraging. Let's yeah, I mean, go ahead, please, please. If I can just add a little bit of context to that, like, I mean, exactly like you said, Ash, if we look at the global scene, funding is down, you know, over one third, over 30% over the 2022 period. African venture funding, which I think speaks to the potential of Africa, the demographic situation, et cetera, was up 35%, the only continent uh, to be up year on year in terms of venture funding. And then if you look at the subset of African Web3 and blockchain funding, like you said, that's up 430% or more than 10 times the general market trend in Africa. So the explosion that's going on now in, in this space locally is just unbelievable. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit. Uh, I want to take this in two parts, actually, to talk a little bit uh, about what's happening in Africa from a tech perspective uh, more generally, and then uh, talk a little bit about blockchain. But just I want to set the table here. Uh, obviously, some very favorable demographic factors in Africa, extremely young populations compared to the rest of the world. Uh, Europe is aging. North America is aging. Africa, a very young continent. But I want to talk about what's happening there from a tech perspective, because this is so interesting to me. One of the things that uh, that people who are involved in this topic seem to be interested in and discussing is this idea of leapfrogging. In many cases, you don't have you know decades of in, uh, infrastructure from a legacy perspective that you have to deal with. I mean, right here in the United States, we had uh, Chair Gensler from the SEC testifying yesterday down on Congress. Now, people who are involved in the blockchain ecosystem and who are passionate about this technology often talk uh, about legacy uh, banks, for example, opposing uh, blockchain development. One of the interesting things about Africa, we saw this with uh, with mobile development, the ability to do peer-to-peer -peer, uh, payments in Africa, because in many cases, the legacy infrastructure was just being built or in a very early stage. And so you don't have this kind of competition from legacy infrastructure. I think this is a fascinating concept. Talk a little bit about what's happening in terms of technology in Africa more generally before we laser focus on what's happening from a blockchain perspective. I think it's a good point, Ash, that you that you wanted to talk generally about the technology. And I think that's also why in our report, which is focused on blockchain, we, we had a, a big section where we wanted to talk to uh, African venture funding because they, they do kind of go together. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's really fueling the growth to the blockchain ecosystem because there is a lot of leapfrogging um, happening in the space. Most of the use cases that you see in, in general venture funding is related to financial infrastructure. Um, so it's you know, fintech and, uh, and loans and, and, and various businesses within that space. And that's now coming through to, to blockchain as well. So even you know, with the use cases on the blockchain side, you're, we're also looking at um, almost going, going back to basics, if I can say that. So a great example of a company we invested in is uh, House Africa based out of Nigeria verifying property on the blockchain. It's, a, it's a, a, um, a use case we've all been speaking about for a long time. African uh, institutions are more likely to adopt this technology a lot quicker because it's a massive problem on the continent. 
Um, whereas a more developed market, for example, Japan, it's definitely not on their, their list of priorities um, to put title deeds on a decentralized database. That being said, they will have to upgrade the technology at some stage. We all right. have to go from writing a letter to email. And the idea is that, that these African startups that we're investing in um, will be able to export their technologies because they'll be adopting it first. That's really interesting. And by, and by the way, uh, we should talk about uh, the electronic title registration system here in the United States with something called MERS, a mortgage electronic registration system uh, that turned out in 2007, 2008 to be an absolute disaster. Uh, it was very difficult to figure out chain of custody on title. It was very difficult to figure out uh, the mechanics of how mortgage worked. There was no transparency and it was difficult to tie uh, the financials to ownership. Uh, so we had these problems here. Uh, maybe we just have this misconception uh, in the developed world about uh, about the, 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 you know, the, the primacy of our technology when in fact, uh, when it gets tested, when there are stresses to the system, it does not work very well. Uh, clearly blockchain an opportunity to begin to upgrade here. And it's interesting, uh, as you say, if it's a priority, for example, uh, in Nigeria uh, to actually build out the, the first generation national system, uh, what an interesting opportunity uh, for Africa to take a lead uh, in this technological development around the world and to export that technology. Yeah, I mean, with that case in particular, there's two states uh, that have now, th that the startup we invested in is now verifying property for, for two states in the continent. So, I mean, there was actually a great report, uh, uh, I think two years back uh, by the African Development Bank that showed that 22% of working age Africans own their own business. You know, so that's almost one in five, one in six Africans that are entrepreneurs and own their own business. The average age of an African is, is 19 years old. Um, so I think that just shows you, the, I mean, the reason why that statistics there, we believe, is that because there is nothing to fall back on. Um, so you have to become an entrepreneur. So we've got, uh, you know, a, an ecosystem and a nation or, or, or a continent that's just built with entrepreneurs and hustlers, and they're building uh, solutions that have to be fixed and have to be fixed uh, quickly. Uh, or they, you know, uh, solving quick problems that have to be, you know, fixed quickly. By the way, by way of contrast, for people who may not know the statistics, myself included, off the top of their head, uh, the median age of an American is 38. Uh, the average age of a person in Japan is nearly 49. I mean, these are pretty striking contrasts when you talk about the average age uh, of an African being 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean uh, here's a... Uh, an eye-opening stat for you that by, according to the World Bank, by 2050, one-third of the world's young population will be African. So one-third of the people, you know, within that specific age range will be from the African continent, uh, which is absolutely astounding. I mean, roughly one in six people logging into the internet will be doing so from the African continent. So I do think this demographic, wider demographic situation is why you see the general tech space as well as Web3 doing so well, is just because the, the foundational metrics, like Gideon said, a young population, entrepreneur forward, um, large addressable problems to be solved, no legacy infrastructure. It's just the confluence of all of these beautiful factors that's going on in Africa at the moment. Right. And I, and I should say, obviously, this isn't an endorsement of a particular company or a particular technology, uh, but this the demographic factors, the infrastructure factors, uh, as you point out, 
uh, the tradition of entrepreneurship, it has to make this just an incredibly interesting place for investors uh, as they begin to understand what's happening there, uh, particularly when you look at the the growth, for example, of China over the last 20 years. I know it's a it's a it's a, obviously it's a different metaphor. It's a, a different situation. But clearly what we've seen uh, the developing world uh, being able to make just tremendous strides in terms of uh, industrialization uh, and then also in digitization, as we talk about now. Let me ask you guys this. We've talked a little bit about tech in general. Let's shift specifically uh, to blockchain on the continent. Tell us a little bit about what's happening there, how people think about it, and what you guys see as some exciting use cases. Brenton, go ahead as the principal. You got you got the knowledge. Oh, perfect. Look, I mean, uh, it's a lot of what you're seeing on the African continent, and I can speak to this as well before joining CVVC. Um, I spent a lot of time, or I spent two years running Binance Africa. Um, and what you see on the continent is, is often, which is you know a little bit counterintuitive, but regardless of regulatory stance, is some of the African countries are the leading um, or, or have some of the highest rates of adoption globally. So you know you can check the chain analysis reports. Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, all are always in that top five in terms of uh, population penetration when it comes to crypto. And if you look at the reasons uh, and the actual activity, more so outside of South Africa, a lot of it is being driven by purely stablecoin activity. And the reason for that is because exactly like we mentioned, people in Africa have a very urgent need and no alternative in terms of better financial products and better financial services. So, you know, when you're in a, a country where your currency is being devalued by 30% year on year, the ability to access dollars from just $10 is unbelievable to you. The ability to earn a yield on micro balances of dollars is completely life-changing to you. And I think that was the first wave we saw um, sweep across crypto in Africa. And then because of that, that educational step that was needed for that, people really started to delve a little bit deeper into the technology. And, um, you know, we're still a maturing market. So uh, you can actually see this in the report, 75% of the funding that went to, to African blockchain startups was either between custody, exchanges, or FinTech. And I think that's, that's very common of uh, a new market. And once you've got this mature layer of foundational products, you know, being remittance providers, deep pools of liquidities across different countries, regulated exchange parties. Once you have those primitives, you can now start building all of the, the really sort of complex layered solutions. You know, we're starting to see some of it emerge in uh, the space of embedded finance in terms of, mm. you know, using stable coins and liquidity pools uh, to fund working capital for small businesses in Africa. And the, the, the lion's share of what we're seeing in terms of deal flow, both on the continent and, and as an investor, is within those three spheres, right? So a lot of it in the infrastructure space. But I think over the next two to three years, now that you know these large players have emerged and you've got those foundational building blocks, specifically in terms of fintech items and liquidity, et cetera, you can now start building a lot more sophisticated business models on top of that. Um, but again, coming back to what we're seeing in Africa, the lion's share, you know, between two-thirds and 75% um, is all in the fintech space. So micropayments, remittances is um, the lowest hanging fruit in Africa. So for those mm -hmm. who don't know, 
to remit money into sub-Saharan Africa is the most frictionful region in the world. It often takes up to a week, if not longer, you know, up to 12, 15, uh, and on the micro side, up to 25%. I mean, in today's day and age, you have people who give money to bus drivers who drive across the border and hopefully hand it to someone on the other side of the border. And the ability for this technology, as well as things like stable coins, smart contracts, et cetera, to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, leapfrog the, the entire lack of infrastructure there is really coming to fore on the continent now. So a lot of fintech, uh, but as those mature, I think we'll start to see a little bit more of those complex business models being built on top of those primitives. Yeah, so, so actually, I actually had a, a, a startup that was, that was pitching to us a, a moment ago, and he was giving a really interesting case study about uh, two remittances uh, that went into, into Mozambique, uh, two, two uh, tranches of $250,000. The first one took three days. The second one it took five months. Um, so as Brenton said, two thirds is really in that fintech space and it's infrastructure. And we're investing in equity uh, in Africa. We're not seeing a lot of those really robust tokenomic models coming into place. But as Africa or any emerging market does, um, we will start uh, following, following the, the, the more developed markets. But to touch on one or two statistics that shows you how much of a need there is to solve these sort of problems, uh, Africa and Nigeria is the majority, uh, of majority of our deal flow is coming from Nigeria. The average inflation rate there is 17.5%. Uh, remitting money in, into sub-Saharan Africa, the average uh, um, cost there is 8.5% um, of your transaction value. Uh, going as Brenton, you mentioned 25%, you get those cases, Zimbabwe 40%. So a lot of it is going back to basics. Uh, and as much as we want to tell you some really, really crazy, innovative, um, you know, DeFi protocols on the content at the moment, we're really seeing uh, blockchain used for what it was intended to. And we're going, going back to basics, but it's, it's causing massive impact and, and solving a lot of problems. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Yeah, this is so interesting because it's where the micro meets the macro, where macro meets VC. I mean, these are challenges uh, that have bedeviled uh, the residents of the global south uh, outside of just Africa. We've seen it uh, in Latin America. We've seen it in developing Asia. The challenges that are caused by inflation uh, and by very high fees on a relative basis. You know, here in the United States where people may complain about getting a $10 charge uh, from their bank, uh, the base effects are much higher uh, when you're dealing with uh, the, uh, you know, people who are working tremendously hard, having just huge amounts of their money vaporized uh, by transaction providers. It's just a, it's just a devastating uh, impact and the potential for this technology uh, to solve it, uh, to create stable value on the one hand, uh, as a benchmark when you see inflation of national currencies and on the other to reduce these just onerous transaction fees uh, that people have to pay. I've seen some of the data on it and it is just terrific. You mentioned that uh, the point, Brenton, about the remittance fees. Uh, these are really ugly numbers and the potential to really unlock human potential uh, on the continent and the developing world more generally is something uh, that it's hard not to be incredibly excited about. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the risks that you guys see. Obviously, when there are potential, uh, huge potentials for opportunity, huge potentials for growth, they are also uh, paired with risks to the downside. Talk a little bit about what those risks are and how you guys seek to control for them. Perfect. I mean, if I can just touch on it quickly first, uh, 
uh, especially when we we speak to potential capital allocators in the continent, and I think this isn't unique to Web3, the the two biggest things that, that always come up is one, obviously, political risk. So, you know, if you're operating in a very politically volatile market, I mean, just look at the recent regulation, I'm sorry, the recent election in Nigeria, you know, how do you mitigate the effects of, you know, regime change, et cetera, within a very volatile political environment? And the second one is, being a very young continent in terms of venture, I mean, depending who you ask, in South Africa, for example, the VC space is less than 10 years old. Um, because of that, you've seen uh, a lot of issues with respect to things like capital control, things like uh, very archaic intellectual property um, protection laws, um, capital repatriation laws. And to be honest with you, that is something that does need to be fixed on the continent. But there, there are very clear ways to sort of mitigate some of those risks. So uh, you touched on earlier, us as, as uh, an investor, we're always looking for emerging market problems. So there's a lot of very large addressable markets in regions like Latin America, India, uh, Southeast Asia as well. Um, but to be honest with you, a lot of it is mitigated by doing the stock standard thing. So a lot of these companies, what they do as African companies is they end up selling offshore entities, uh, either, you know, Delaware C-Corps, LLCs, or um, some structures in the UK that are quite attractive, and actually house their IP, et cetera, there. And because of that, it mitigates those sort of core main risks, but it, it only mitigates them to a certain degree. And then I think with uh, coming specifically into the industry, this is something that the report speaks about, and I think we're moving in the right direction. But because of a, a lack of really clear regulatory framework, um, and then when you pair that with really strict capital and exchange controls, you know, we know right now today we can use USDC and build a business where it's quicker, faster, and cheaper to remit money. But we can't do that outside of a clear regulatory framework. Um, and those frameworks, you know, coming back to as a function of those political regimes, there's a lot of volatility in the regulatory environment because it's very much tied to those political regimes. So there definitely are risks on the continent. I don't think massively more than there are in other emerging markets, but, you know, there, there are certain ways to mitigate that. Well, listen, I, I, we're about to run out of time here. Uh, obviously, we could talk about this for three hours, uh, but generally speaking, obviously, risk and reward are proportional. So uh, do your own research. Obviously, important for people to understand that. I want you to close on this note uh, to just get your final thoughts. Uh, if we were to go to a pub in the uh, University of South Africa and start chatting uh, with 19-year-old students, which is the average age in Africa, it's this really, truly uh, staggering statistic. What is it there that folks think about blockchain, about digital assets more broadly? How do they think about this? What's the perception that young people uh, in South Africa have around this technology? I think the one thing to note, of course, you know, being in an emerging market has its pros and cons, but it also means that there's a big population um, that's underprivileged. So a lot of it look, look towards cryptocurrency specific, specifically as wealth creation. Uh, and that also tends to uh, lean itself towards a lot of those, um, you know, scam coins, and we, we're not going to get into that. But there's definitely a lot of hype around that space um, uh, that's worth uh, paying attention to, and I think that's probably why there's a lot of um, focus on regulation uh, or the lack thereof in Africa. There's also a massive knowledge gap 
uh, in the in the legacy corporate space in the regulation space. But I think you definitely hear a lot of that. So you hear you'll, there's probably two two segments. The one would be um, a segment of Africans that really have a good understanding of the technology and they know how it can solve problems on the continent. And the other one uh, would be the gambling side of it. And we we've seen uh, some of the, the the gambling use cases here really explode. We've got about 60 seconds left. I wanted to get final thoughts, key takeaways from both of you. Uh, Brenton, first to you, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with. I think, uh, you know, there's been a lot of attention on Latin America, Southeast Asia. But like we said, if you look at the wider situation in Africa, I really think Africa over the next five to 10 years has the opportunity to become the supercontinent of the future. So if you're looking, you know, where to position yourself, where to position your assets, where to position your businesses, I think definitely do some research on Africa because what's going on here at the moment is just unbelievable. Gideon, final thoughts, key takeaways. Ditto, uh, of course, uh, what Brandon said, the one thing that I'll say outside of the startup ecosystem, you know, we receive over a thousand applications to enter our acceleration program, or we have received a thousand over the last year from Africa. Uh, we asked the question, what chain are you building on? 40% are building on Ethereum. The other 60% is a free for all. So what I, uh, the takeaway for me is to encourage big protocols like Polygon and the likes to start entering Africa putting boots on the ground and being the the, uh, the pioneer chain on the continent. I think that that opportunity is there for the taking for someone. Spectacular conversation, guys. We're going to have to have you back and do this more frequently. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Ed. My pleasure. Thanks for watching, everyone. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance.